Welcome, everybody, to the Life After High School podcast. This is your host, Glenn Younger-Gorris, and I'm grateful you are here today to listen to my conversation with the incredible Aaron Brown. The goal of these conversations is to learn from unique people's stories and experiences. These conversations are all centered around the topic of growth and personal development and what it means to get better each and every day to achieve our wildest goals. One of my wildest goals is to rank on iTunes and Spotify. So how you can help me with that is by giving the podcast a five-star rating, sharing an episode you like on social media, and leaving a review if the show episodes at all have helped you in any way. That would be incredible. And now, on to the episode. It's the Life After High School Podcast. Aaron, welcome to the podcast, man. I'm super excited to have you on today, man. I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you and uh, learning more about you and hearing your story. So thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So for people who don't know you and uh, just to kind of kick us off, I think it'd be best if you take us through kind of your story and your timeline from kind of the transition leaving post-secondary and high school, like that time frame of your life to kind of where we are now. And then we can bring it full circle as we go. Cool. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I was always fast and I played all kinds of sports and I always figured like what the common denominator between all of them was, was that I was faster than a lot of people that were playing the game. So whether I was playing baseball or soccer or basketball or football, it kind of all just came back to speed. And just logically, I just kind of found myself on the track. Um, you know, I rotated between sports just to, you know, keep myself active and stuff. And then one thing led to another. Um, the club coach at my school at Birchmount uh, noticed me and said, hey, you know, you could be good at track if you come out to my club and, you know, train for this full time. And I was like, man, I don't really don't want to. But he said he played for my club dudes in the summer. Um, so I was like, all right, fine, I'll give it a shot. And I went and I got a lot faster. So I'm like, you know what, I, I want to see how far I could take this. So I just kind of after that moment, you know, kind of just committed and said, I want to train full time, see if I can get faster and what I can do with this. And uh, sure enough, my uh, grade 11 year, I got a full ride scholarship down to um, the States after I got second in the world in the under 18 world championships. Um, So yeah, after that, you know, I had a whole bunch of people knocking on my door that wanted me to come down to the NCAA. I had to figure out what that was and kind of go through the process of learning what schools I wanted to go to and yeah. what opportunities there were, what I had to do to be eligible and all that stuff. And um, yeah, I kind of just figured it out. I had people in my corner that were helping me along the way and um, I ended up going to the U- University of Southern California and just, you know, from Toronto, went down to LA. So that was yeah. kind of the thing that started it all. Yeah. Interesting. So what I want to know is what was that eligible, what was that eligibility process like for you? Like, what was that? What was that experience like? Uh, So you have to take the SATs, which is like a standardized test that they do in the States. And you have to score high enough that you, they mix like your SAT score with your GPA. And every school is different with their standards. So some are stricter than others, depending on how good academically they are. Um, USC is pretty high academically. So I was pretty fortunate to be able to get uh accepted into there but you know it's it's just a matter of getting your grades up and getting your transcripts sent over to the school and they'll look at that and say okay based on your grades we'll look at your 
SAT scores and okay, we think you need to take it again because you need to get listed a little higher or you might right. need to, you know, take summer school for this class and get this grade up or whatever. So they tinker it and play with it to, depending on what your, what your numbers look like. Interesting. So that process then, because that's a foreign uh, thing to me, right? Is yeah. that process of SATs? Like I've only ever heard about it in all American TV shows, uh, if I'm being <laughs> honest, right? So yeah. for you to say it's a real thing, I'm like, all right, yeah. interesting. And so yeah. what I'm curious about with that is I didn't know they could, like, you can kind of manipulate it a little bit. Obviously not, mm -hmm. not like, you know, to an extent where you're fabricating things, but where you can like, oh, okay, like it's different for each school, eh? So what do you have to kind of piece together a bunch of schools that you want to apply to or that have good, like a good system to help you kind of achieve what you want to achieve. And then you kind of pick those and go, okay, what's the process of going to each of them? Right. And sometimes an athlete won't be able to meet the standards. So they'll tell you to go to a junior college in the States for like a year or two and then transfer into the school. So that's another route. A lot of people go. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's just trying to make sure that all your ducks are in a row. So the higher the grades you have, the better. It definitely matters in the classroom as well as your athletic prowess. But um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to meet everything I needed in order to go to whatever school I wanted to um, with my grades and my NCT score. Nice. And now that focus was kind of, it was more just on which had the better program for what you were trying to do in terms of athletics, right? It, like education wasn't really the top of the priority list for that. Like how do you kind of justify priorities in that? Uh, so time yeah, first and foremost, I wanted to go somewhere where I'd be fast. Right. Yeah. So like, I think just naturally as a young athlete, you want to get faster and you're looking at the, all the great programs that have developed athletes before. So um, coaches would come to my house and uh, interview with me and my parents and like kind of tell me about their program and show off about like, okay, we put this athlete here and got him pro or, um, you know, we have really great academics or we have a really great location or whatever right. their, their uh, strong suit is. And they'll kind of make their best pitch in, their ha in the house. And they also, you get five uh, official visits, which means they're, they're paid. So the schools will fly you out and Come on. Bring you in for a weekend, they'll hook you up with a host and no they'll way. take you around campus. They'll let you meet the team, uh, meet you know, some professors and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Like you go around and just basically they show off and, and see, okay, yeah, like they make the best pitch. Like we want you to come here. And then um, sometimes you get to go to a football game if you're in the season, right season. Um, sometimes it's a basketball game, sometimes it's a track yeah. meet. It just depends on the time of the year. Um, so yeah, you get five visits that are paid for. And you can take unofficial visits whenever you want. But those aren't paid for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I went through that process and kind of just factored in like, okay, all the schools that I'm visiting have really good uh, track programs. So now I, I, I can't use that as my determining factor. So like that's when stuff like education and where I'm going to be living and stuff like that came into play because I had to nitpick. I had to like say, okay, both these are great track programs, but this school has this advantage over the other. I see. So when it came into, okay, it kind of helped make that overall decision for you. Eh? Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Right on. So from there, how did, were there scouts for the national team or is it their standards to meet? Yeah. Like how does that, so then you just kind of qualify and then things go <clears throat> that way. Yeah. Or so at the world youth championships, which is my first national team, yeah. They did it that it was the top two times that have standard in the nation that go. So once I hit the standard at OFSA, 
I qualified for uh, the national team because I was the fastest under 17 uh, athlete in the country. Um, so then they picked me for the team and yeah. we went over to Italy uh, with the rest of the team, Canada, that was built out with other people that have hit the standard. At the World Junior Championships uh, the following year, there was actually a trial at the, um, at the uh, same place where the World Championships were. Those are actually in Canada, in Moncton. So um, there's a trial at, the, at Moncton and you have to come top two to, you know, represent Canada in your event. And then from there, you're selected to the team. And you also have to add the standard as well. Interesting. So <laughs> what I want to know um, before we get to the whole Olympic side of it. Um, so what always has amazed me and kind of looking back on your journey and the process of all this um, before, again, the whole like the Olympic side and ask uh, the things I'm curious about, but what's always kind of amazed me and I've kind of been envious in terms of Olympic athletes with this is not so much like the opportunities and like the cool process of how everything goes and the on television you're competing, but to me, it's all the cool places you're fortunate enough to go visit. Right right? Like, that's insane to me. Like all the cool like countries, cities, the different people you get to meet, like you get to essentially travel the world and right. compete the whole time. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I'm curious about, do you have like a favorite travel experience, whether it could be Olympic related, not like competition related at all? Like, do you have a favorite like travel experience that stood out to you? Um, I really love going to Oslo which is in Norway, yeah. uh, great food, you know, um, great, like as Icelandic, um, food that you get, like all the fish is very fresh. All the meat is good. You know, it just, I just like the vibe and like yeah. the city is very clean. They're very, very nice people. Um, the venue that we run at is good. The crowds are always positive and, and loud. So running in Oslo is great. Um, I like Tokyo a lot, actually. Um, it was unfortunate that it was during COVID that we didn't really get to go around the city. Um, but I've been to Japan before and I, I'm, I love their culture. They're very respectful, everything very clean as well. Um, so yeah. Uh, and then, you know, all the anime stuff and the video games and whatnot. So all that stuff is cool too, to see, you know, plash around the city. Um, where else? London. Uh, London's one of my favorite cities. It reminds me a lot of Toronto just with the diversity and the culture there. Um, so, and also the food is great. I always love Nando's. They have one in Toronto. <laughs> so, uh, nice. but I first had it in the UK. At first you could only get it there. So yeah. Um, yeah. Those three. I'll pick those. Nice. I found I've in terms of creating like different experiences, whenever I go places, I find the culture, like you said, I don't want it to be similar to like the Western culture that we kind mm -hmm. of get. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go, how completely different can we go? Like, where's the furthest away place from the culture right. that I'm experiencing now? All right. Mm -hmm. I want to go there. Right. I don't want to yeah. see what's going on here. I want to meet those people. And more often than not, I found they're, they're a lot more welcoming than typically you'd give them credit for. I don't yeah. know if you found that, but they all just, people make the experience. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, of course, I'm there as an athlete. So there's always that special added element too that they're like, oh, cool, you're going to run. And, yeah. you know, they kind of appreciate the athletic side of it. So people are on their extra beat. 
extra nice behavior, I should say, um, most times. So that's, that's always good. Nice. Now, do you, um, in terms of how the transition from just being fast on sports teams growing up to national team and seeing how everything kind of changed and how things have gone and then friends of yours or teammates of yours and how they've done things different or similarities. Is there any like one thing that you'd kind of recommend if people want to get into like running specifically and training at that level and who maybe don't know at all what direction to take that you've seen maybe works? Yeah. I always tell young people um, to join a track club, like look at the most successful athletes in your area. And most of the time they're going to be associated with some kind of track club, which means you're on the, the high school team, but you also train with the club outside of your high school team. And most times you're just training with that club and then you just compete for the school. That's what I did. And yeah. if I had just went with the high school coach, you know, they don't really commit to knowing track and field. They're just out there just because that they're the gym teacher or whatever it is. So yeah. they don't really know how to get you faster or how to help you jump farther or throw farther or whatever your event is. Yeah. But if you go to a track club, that's what they're there for. So you're around other people too, that are also on the same um, wavelength, trying to get better and improve and possibly go down uh, to the States or um, CIS or whatever and um you know get a scholarship or go to the next level Mm -hmm. um so if you're with like-minded people you're gonna push each other to be better so i'd say surround yourself with people who are trying to achieve the same things that you are as early as you can early as you can now having seen how everything works and what maybe doesn't um especially in terms of canada because as of late it seems that canadian athletics has kind of picked up storm right? Like it's, there's more of you at the top, right? And it's really, it's fucking awesome to see, right? And so what I want to know, though, is seeing all that and seeing kind of how you've come up and how teammates of yours have come up and maybe people in the past have done things that you've been like, ooh, maybe going to avoid telling people about that one. If you can wave, if you had the ability like wave a magic wand and Aaron, you got to change one thing about the Canadian national like athletics, like the training program itself, like the training that you guys do or something like that. What would, uh, what would be one big thing you would change? Like uh, competing for team Canada, you mean? Yeah. It could be the approach to the training or it could be like the way everything's set up to peak in different times for different races. Like, right. Um, so they did this in the past and sometimes people still fall victim to it and that's they make you commit to the relay team versus your own individual event when you're not at the level of someone they think can make the finals so interesting back when i was younger right and still trying to prove myself and separate and whatever and i was going through the ranks they didn't see me as someone like I ran the 100 and 200 and I would qualify in those events, but they thought our best opportunity would be to come together for the relay. And so they would prioritize me training with the relay team versus me training with my coach to do something in the individual events. And that was problematic because it's like, how am I ever supposed to uh, get to that level where I am like a bona fide sprinter running the 100 and 200. And you see me as someone who can make the finals or challenge for medals. Mm -hmm. If you keep cutting me at the legs 
by telling me, oh, you can't really train with your coach for this long. You got to come do this relay program and, and focus on that because we think that's our best chance to uh, get a medal. And yeah. eventually I broke through and broke out of that because I ran fast enough that they had no choice but to see me as that. Right. You know, guys like myself and Andre, they don't do that to me anymore because we've proven ourselves at that stage. Yeah. But it's hard to break out because it's like you're constantly having to put your own individual aspirations at the back end in favor of the relay. Um, right. And that still happens to certain athletes that haven't broken through yet and are, yeah. are trying to break through. Like nobody just wants to be a relay guy. Like everybody wants to be in the individual events running for themselves and, you know, going for that glory. But uh, still happens to younger athletes or athletes that haven't broken through because they're just seeing like, okay, it's a numbers game. We want our best uh, athletes in the right places. Yeah. And we don't think of you as an individual athlete. We think of you as just a relay person. So I think uh, we need a better grassroots like transition program in Athletics Canada where we're nurturing that talent so that they can become the 100, 200 individual athletes and not just relay guys wasting weight, not wasting weight, but like not really improving, you know? Right. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. So kind of in regards to that, um, what are some different, um, what are some different things you've noticed over the, um, because of the way COVID's kind of affected mm-hmm. the Olympic games, how was that? versus the ones you've done in the past where like what was how was it like it was more stressful like how was that for you like from a mental side of it man that was tough because in the height of covid in 2020 when like we had no idea what covid was and what we're dealing with and Mm -hmm. slowly we just saw things start to shut down and like events get canceled and whatever the olympics was like the last domino to fall so it was like the nba shut down the nfl shut down uh NHL shut down and just like one by one by one. And we're like, okay, the Olympics is still out in uh, August and like July, August. So maybe we'll be safe. Maybe by then we'll have it figured out. But then it got postponed to 2021. It's like, okay, then now what are we doing now in the meantime? Like we have our, we have our sponsors and our obligations, you know, so they still want to, you know recoup some money so we still got to compete but it's like we can't really train because facilities are closed so like we're like winging it and making it up as we go so it was hard to be motivated because like we're running in grass fields like soccer fields that are like uneven and stuff like that um you know we're getting kicked out of places because we're not supposed to be there and there's like signs and we're like jumping fences and whatnot yeah you have to yeah exactly because it's like if we're not and our competition is then you know, they're not going to care. We got to be in shape somehow. Yeah. Um, so that was stressful, but, uh, you know, fortunately I, I, I've trained in Florida and we've been able to train at our facilities and, you know, as long as we adhere to like protocols, like wearing masks and social distancing and all that stuff, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty good. Nice. Um, but I know other places in Canada, for example, are dealing with, like, I have friends that are in there that have no access to facilities because they mm-hmm. closed down again because of the number spike. So like yeah. having to constantly deal with that is very stressful, but it's something I fortunately don't have to deal with, but I know other athletes do. Yeah, thankfully. Jeez. Um, that's wild. Because how do you train to peak for that? Because, right, because isn't your training, like, it's specifically designed to peak at certain events, right? Or yeah. for certain, I guess, days, right? right, or times of the year. 
I don't know how specific you guys get, like if you train for the hour or you only trained in the morning because you were racing in the morning. Right. But how do you train? How do you set up the training plan for that? Especially when everything's unknown, do you just, like you said, wing it or. Yeah. I mean, 2020, we pretty much wing it the whole time. Like it, it was, it was tough, but Jeez. you know, fortunately the Olympics got postponed. So we didn't have to worry about like having a peak for that and the trials for that. Yeah. Um, but in 2021, like I said, we were fortunate enough to have access again, so we could mm. properly target our points where we want to peak and train really hard yeah. because we had our access to it. But for people that don't, that just throws off the whole program. I mean, you have to adapt constantly like, okay, we lost this amount of time training because of the lockdown. Now, how mm. can we recoup that and make it up? And sometimes nice. you can't. And sometimes you just have to do it the best you can. Right. Now, as kind of everything's coming to fruition isn't don't you guys have what you have world championships next mm-hmm. year this year this right year, this year. yeah this year sorry i was i was in december in my head for some reason that's <laughs> <laughs> my bad um so you have it this year and then you have championships again next year right and then mm-hmm. olympics in 2024 in paris ridiculous do you get like is there a downtime to it is there like there's peaks and valleys but where are the valleys where do they fit in in that because like yeah there's not really one and this is unprecedented you know but usually it's like world championships olympics world championship and then a down year and the down years when people like kind of reset and regroup and you know maybe not run as much or maybe just run for fun or run for collect a check and it's not really as stressful but yeah, we got championships back to back to back to back because of that COVID year. Um, so it's a good opportunity for people who want to prove themselves because it's going to be ample times to do it. Yeah. And for someone like me who's trying to be on the podium in an individual event, you yeah. know, I got a lot of opportunities ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So I could look to take advantage of that. But at the same time, it's going to be tough because it's like you're at this thing every year and every year is an important yeah. year. So you got to be on your A game every time you step on that world championship uh, track. So, you know, it's all leading up to Tokyo or sorry, uh, Paris, because that's the most important thing is the Olympics. But at the same time, you have the world championships, which, which are just as big for us. Yeah. You can't, what is the big difference between the two? Like if you were Uh, to say to somebody who doesn't know. Yeah. yeah, um, So for one, the Olympics doesn't pay anybody and the world championships do. So you would think it'd be the other way around. Yeah. But because the main reason for that is because the IOC is in charge of the Olympics and the uh, IOC makes all the money from the sponsors and the TV deals and all that stuff. And in uh, world championships, it's ran by the world athletics, which uh, pays its athletes. Amazing. So, yeah. Um, amazing. But the main difference is um, viewership and the, you know, TV rights pretty much like, everybody watches the olympics and it's a way bigger deal than just the world championships because of the viewership and how many people are going to watch it and pay attention and tune in and the ioc is involved and also the world championships is just track but the olympics will be all the sports the summer sports Mm -hmm. so it's a way bigger deal because you have way more people watching way bigger Mm -hmm. of an audience and um you know everybody wants to be the olympic champion and that's always been the pinnacle um, sure. world championship is great too yeah. but um you know nothing is higher than the olympic champion yeah 
Interesting. Yeah, I definitely would have thought it'd be the other way around, but that makes that makes a lot of sense when you say it. Because mm-hmm. I, I definitely know of friends of mine who don't watch anything in terms yeah. of like athletics or stuff like me, my folks, like friends of mine, because we're like we really just enjoy sport and competition. Um, and well, whatever we do. So we like to watch that and like, oh, world championships come up. We like to just see, cause it's a, how's this process being ran? You know, who's racing? What are they like? How are they doing it? What's their approach? Like, what do they say after? What do they say before? Yeah. But then I see people like just at their office, they'll just have two monitors, one on, with the Olympics, just live streaming the whole thing for the two weeks. And then, or however long some are, some are. And then one, they're just doing their, doing their normal day job. I'm like, what's going on? What event? And they're like, no idea. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. all right. And they're like, yeah, yeah, they see the Canadian flag, they get hyped up, and then they pay attention. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's more of an event. I I feel like that's more of a thing that people tune into. It's like you got the Super Bowl, you got like the Stanley Cup playoffs, and then you yeah. got uh, the NBA uh, finals and stuff. But the Olympics is like on par with that. Whereas For World sure. Championships is more of like a niche sport with like more yeah. track enthusiasts that tune in not really like the common person right what are some common misconceptions people have about uh the olympics in general that people uh may not see looking through their uh tv screen that you guys experience well like i said earlier we don't get paid and a lot of people think you know you make a lot of money at the olympics and you literally make none where you make your money is if you have your sponsors or if you do really well you get paid afterwards because you have incentives in your shoe contract or maybe you win a medal and your government Uh, might give you a bonus or you pick up a new sponsor but the olympics itself you do get no money so that's a common misconception because people think oh you're rich you're on tv you're at the olympics no it's like um i'm shutting that down right now yeah not at all not at all um another one is like I think a lot of people don't realize how restrictive it is. Like we have no rights over ourselves. So let's say, uh, sorry, let me take that back. We have no rights over our video of ourselves. So if I wanted to post a race of myself running at the Olympics, the IOC could take that down off of social media. And that's literally happened to me. I posted like a couple seconds of me running, you know, just a replay. And they took it down because they have the rights to you and your likeness at the Olympics. What? So during that time, they have all the footage rights to it. Yeah. And you're not allowed to post it without consent from them. And they almost never give you consent. If you want consent to, to stream it somewhere or use it in like a film or on your social media page or in a documentary or an article, or whatever, you have to pay for it. And they you have charge to pay like, for it. Yeah. You don't just have to ask for permission. yourself. For yourself. Yeah. And they charge you like an insane rate right so i remember my friend was telling me i don't have the exact numbers but i'm gonna i'm gonna ballpark it just so you get an idea nice so if i wanted to take a a sample footage of myself and pay for it from the world championships right i go to the world athletics and it'll be like a hundred bucks every 10 seconds for example right that's not actually what it is but let's just just go roughly yeah easy numbers yeah if i want to go to the olympics and get that same footage 10 second clip (laughs) they'll charge you like 50 grand or something like that no way it's like that big of a gap like the insane it's insane no it's insane the olympics are like brutal and it's just because of the viewership right 
because so many people <sighs> tune into the Olympics and there's so many more sponsors that pay into the yeah, Olympics so. that they sell enormous amount of money or so they make an enormous amount of money from TV deals and all sponsorships and all that stuff. So that footage now of you running, same, same event, same athlete, but just because you're at the Olympics and you have those, those five rings, now that footage is way more valuable. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's both really cool and like really sad. Yeah. Like, jeez, yeah. man. And like, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, so, that's kind of, yeah, that's And there's that's a lot really of different rules like that at the Olympics yeah. where like so many things are restricted. Like there's like a blockout period where like if let's, let's say I have a sponsor, right? Like I, I, I had a sponsor with uh, Canadian Tire when I was nice. at the Olympics. If I wanted to say, cool. hey, shout out to Canadian Tire for sponsoring me, helping me get to the Olympics. I'm not allowed to mention the Olympics itself during that period, unless they sponsored the Olympics and they're an Olympic partner. I'm not allowed to mention Canadian Tire in the Olympics or Tokyo or make any kind of reference to them to the Olympics during that blackout window. Um, so it's like, I don't even know how long it is, two weeks, three weeks, something like that. But during that period, when the Olympics are going on, there's a blackout period where I'm not allowed to say anything specifically with, with the Olympic, um, with the Olympics itself and my sponsor. The only way is if they sponsored the Olympics itself. So like. Uh, a Powerade, for example, is an yep. Olympic sponsor. So if I had a Powerade deal, I could say, hey, thank you for Powerade for getting uh, me to the Olympics mm-hmm. because they sponsored the Olympics too. And I think that's just a way for the Olympics wow. to keep the money within the IOC because if they could just sponsor individual athletes, why do they need to get money through the Olympics, right? Yeah. So they need to like Brilliant. give some incentive for people to sponsor the Olympics. itself. It's all about money. Yeah, it's Brilliant. Greed. It's, it's really, crazy. But, it is. It is. It's a yeah. great business model. It's just like the NCAA when they didn't used to have to pay their athletes, but they're making billions on like March Madness and oh, yeah. college football and stuff like that. That's and insane. now they have NIL and stuff. So it's a little better, but you know, they've made so much money off of not having to pay people because of that amateur title. Yeah. So then you kind of have to be pretty mindful about what you can and can't post and like how you kind of go about like you can't just be honest, you're like showing people around and everything, doing good that's crazy that ah that's tough like i I mean i guess bringing in fans is what the olympic does olympics does on its own right as just a a platform platform. yeah so yeah you you become an overnight superstar if you have great success there yeah but the olympics itself (laughs) is just a platform for you to show your 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 talent it's not a place for you to make money at the event itself all the money pretty much goes to the IOC. Yeah. That's crazy. So yeah. speaking of um, craziness and um, success in the Olympics, um, your four by 100 relay. Mm-hmm. What I'm curious about. So your bronze medal that you guys have, right? That's getting upgraded to silver. It's in the works of it or what's, kind of take me through so, that process because i have a couple of things i'm curious about on that <laughs> yeah so. uh so right now it's still a bronze okay. um pending the case with cj uh and his unfortunate mishap with drugs and stuff like that 
um, the entire team might get disqualified because if you have one athlete who's ruled ineligible at the Olympics, you have to take out the entire team. So even though the other three did nothing wrong, they are collateral damage. And once they're out, everybody else moves up. So we will be upgraded to silver and China will be upgraded to bronze. Um, but the ruling on the case for the athlete that failed the test is still ongoing and no official word has been made. I have no idea how it's going to, how long it's going to take or what happens when that happens because it's never happened to me before. Right. Where I get upgraded because of a doping failure. Mm -hmm. I've seen other athletes have that happen retroactively, like years later, because what they do is when you take a drug test, they keep it on file for like, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. And they retest it as their, their testing methods get better over time. So you might might pass a test now, but the technology might get better at detecting in six years and they might go back and retest it and find that you actually had banned substances and then retroactively you will get banned and disqualified. So a lot of people become Olympic medalists or Olympic champions retroactively after the fact, because they keep retesting old samples. Um, And so for us, it's actually good because it happened almost, you know, right away after the Olympics. So we didn't have to wait like five years to say, Hey, by the way, you guys are actually silver medalists Um, because Great Britain got caught with a dope athlete. Um, But yeah, I have no idea how long the arbitration process, process is and how long all this stuff happens. I don't even know, like, what happens if I got to mail my medal back, if I, you know, get a brand new silver or, if yeah. I take, you know, Great Britain silver. I'm sure it's not that. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know the process at all. I'm just yeah. kind of, you know, moving on with my life. And it, it, we got upgraded. Cool. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was talking to a friend of mine on, on like, my run, like, two hours ago, two, three hours ago that we went on. Um, and I was, like, I was telling him about uh, that specifically. And I was like, yeah, I'm really curious about this. And he's like, how does that work? And I'm like, well, I definitely don't think they Amazon Prime you a package. <laughs> you know, it just has yeah. a silver medal in it. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what they do. I I was wondering if it's like a ceremonial thing or now what I'm really curious about about that is do you, does the nostalgia wear off? Like does, like, does the feeling wear off or is it just like, was the big thing when you won? And like that feeling is, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. So I think, well, first of all, we were already disappointed collectively as a group after the race. So even though we won a medal, we're so appreciative of that. And you never take for granted an Olympic medal. For sure. But we really felt like we had the team to win. Yeah. So when we fell short of that, we we're like, damn. And it was kind of like, okay, at least we got third. But we really were kind of disappointed with our results and not doing better. And, you know, at least breaking the Canadian record or something. We ran close to it, but didn't quite get it. Uh, we made a lot of mistakes and left a lot of time on the, on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting the silver now wasn't like a huge like boost of energy and like a wave of euphoria. Like, oh yeah, a silver. It's cool because I already have a bronze from 2016. So now to have a silver, it's like, oh, uh, yeah, I don't have full that. collection. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And now we can go nice. for gold in 2024 for sure. and then I'll have the oh, full yeah. set, you know? Right on. But, um, Fuck yeah. I think it would be even worse if we were fourth and had nothing. And then we get the bronze <sighs> after the fact, because like, we don't yeah. stand on the podium. We don't get the photo up. It's a big it's thing. Like the moment has passed, you know, yeah. we, it's just, if we're fortunate enough that we're at least on the podium already, but if we're mm-hmm. in China and we're fourth and we're like, okay, we might get a bronze. Like 
way later with no like you know hype to it yeah kind of lame we don't get that yeah it's it's, it's just it doesn't hit the same it's not the same energy no for sure do you guys have like you mentioned like being disappointed in races and everything do you what's your like i know as a team you probably have your own ways of doing it but for you what's your reflection process after races because your 200 was like stupid fast the whole race everything yours like you ran a personal best didn't you and like i ran close to it uh in the semifinal um but in the final you know it's just kind of i remember when i finished sixth i kind of just sat there on the steps because the way the setup is is you run the race and then you go up the uh stairs you go like zigzag and then you go up and then all the way down and then out through and eventually go under the tunnel, do more media until you finally get to your clothes. So like all the way through up those steps is different media places from around the world. So some of them stop you and be like, hey, can we get an interview, a few words, whatever. So before I wanted to go through that, I just like sat there on the track and had a moment to reflect to myself, kind of just like, nice. damn, like this is the Olympics. This is my third one. You know, I made the finals, fell short of my goal of getting on the podium, but, you know, take it in because it's another three years until the next one. Mm-hmm. And just like that, like the moment passes. So you kind of have to take little moments where you reflect and sit there because it, it goes by so fast. Mm-hmm. So anytime I have a bad race, I'll always reflect. And I'm, I'm a very thoughtful person. Yeah. I like to analyze myself and, and say, like, okay, what did I do wrong? Where can I improve? And immediately I got into that mode, but before I did that, you know, I was, I was kind of just sitting there like, this is the moment and it's gone, you know, it, it's over with now. Yeah. And like, what's next, you know, that's immediately my thought. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just reviewing the race, re, re, replaying it in my head and, yeah. you know, saying like, oh, I made a mistake here. Oh, I wish I did that. Well, and then say, okay, next time, how do I be better? Um, nice. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So I was curious, you like watch footage or how that process goes, but it must be nice to, I, I like that you're able to have that moment to reflect mm-hmm. on yeah. it, like just kind of mm-hmm. in your own head right after yeah. it happened. Cause I feel, yeah. and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've seen it a lot of times in the people I talk to at, at certain at elite levels and things. And they go like, they chase the moment. Once they get there, they chase the moment, they get there, they chase the moment. And then they're always chasing the next moment. They don't actually, they're like, like what's the biggest thing that you took away from it and most majority of the time it's stop and smell the roses man they're like i just all of a sudden i look back and i've done all these things and i'm like i don't actually remember how i felt in those moments so it's cool to hear that you were able to do that and kind of avoid that mistake i guess yeah i mean i for sure do that too like i don't really stop and smell the roses very often um I try to do more of it now that I'm older, you know, like I've done a lot of things in my earlier years that I kind of just rush by and don't really mm-hmm. remember much of me like sitting there and enjoying it because it just kind of was like, yeah, let's chase the next thing on the next thing. And as an athlete, I feel like you kind of have to have that just because when you rest on your laurels and you think like, oh, you know, I've done this, whatever, you lose that, that motivation level just a smidge. And mm-hmm. you, you're not as hungry and is not as eager to go out there again and get it. And you have to be as hungry as you were before to that got you that place because, you know, the people that haven't achieved your level of success and want to be in your place, 
are going to have that level of hunger. Oh, and that's sure. what's going to separate them and take them over the hump and potentially take your spot. So uh, you have to constantly be on your P's and Q's and tell yourself that you haven't done enough, even though you might have achieved something that you've always wanted yeah. to achieve. And it's always like, okay, what's next? What's next? What's next? Because your sponsors want more from you. Your coaches want more from you. Your agent wants more from you. Your fans want more from you. And it's just constantly like, how much more can you give? Like, look at an athlete like Tom Brady. He just won the Super Bowl last year. But it's still like, okay, can you do it again, though? Like, how many rings does he need? Does he need yeah. 10? You know, like, what will make him satisfied? But yeah, like, one's enough. Like, exactly. So yeah. it's just like, next, 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 next. They always want more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And you can get caught up in that. So, um, you know, the reflection really wasn't to smell the roses. is more because I was disappointed in my performance. Yeah. Uh, so I wish, you know, the moment was like, damn, I did really well and I could take that yeah. in. But, you know, just just the gratitude or sorry, the magnitude of being at the Olympics was something that I also factored in. I was just like, you know, what, right. I fell short of my goal, but at least, you know, I made the final and I've gotten mm-hmm. further than I ever have before. So yeah. I have something to hang my hat on and build from from here. And I'm going to be nice. better and, you know, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it didn't last very long. So <laughs> I, I, I literally had uh the four by one prelims the next day in the morning oh, yeah geez. so we ran the 200 geez. final at night uh i got I had doping after that so that Dope. takes you know yeah. an hour and a half um and then so just like know, a blood test urine test and then they call it a day yeah or urine test. yeah uh, sometimes it's both sometimes blood and urine but that one was just urine so i had to wait and i couldn't pee because you know i'm I just ran, so like <laughs> I just yeah. burnt up, and it's hot. <laughs> like obviously, days. yeah. You know, it was summer in Tokyo; it was super hot. So like I'm kind of dehydrated. So I got to drink my water, wait, and then I was like literally on the last car out of the village, sorry, yeah. the um the stadium, going back to the village. Yeah. Uh, just because it took me so long to pee, so I probably didn't go home till like two, and then Jeez. we had the race at like ten the next day which means I have to leave at like probably seven, which means I got to wake up at like six. So it's like, I don't know, three, four hours of sleep. At best. So yeah, Oof. I had no time to really <laughs> sit and dwell on the 200 because I literally had to run the next day. But nice. it's the Olympics, man, it is what it is. Yeah, it's the nature of the beast. Eh? Yeah. So did you, um, how do you build that? Because uh, I'm not, I don't find, I find when a lot of people are asked this question, like how you stay motivated or what what do you do to be so like to be mentally strong enough to maintain that discipline throughout the years at that level like how do you manage that um i think about peace of mind so if i were to hang it up right now tomorrow i just announce my retirement would i be satisfied with my performance and everything i did with my career and the answer is no, because I still feel like I have stern, stones to turn over nice. and things that I haven't accomplished yet. Mm-hmm. And when, once that moment becomes yes, I have no reason to get out of bed and do what I do every day and train and kill myself at practice to mm-hmm. reach those levels because I'm satisfied. And that's the ultimate mm-hmm. goal is having peace of mind, being able to sleep at night saying I gave my absolute best and there's nothing more that I could have done to change my story. So until I'm satisfied with that answer, I'm going to keep going and getting up day after day, getting after it because I feel like there's more to give. And I feel like there's mm-hmm. more to my story that I have to write. And nice. those 
moments where I reflect like at the, in Tokyo after the 200, when I'm disappointed, I'm like, damn, I could have did more or even the four by one when we're disappointed with our bronze and we like feel like we can win. It's like, okay, we didn't get it now, but I'm going to go back to the drawing board and work harder and be in the same moment the next year. And that's what helps with having opportunities like world championships, world championships, Olympics, because it's like, I have more opportunities to chase the things I didn't get this year and mm -hmm. it's not done yet. And I think the opportunity and the prospect of um, bouncing back and having another chance to go at it is something that always fuels my fire because yes. it's not done yet. And mm -hmm. I still have more chances to do it. So it's like, if you think about like a video game and you have three lives, it's like, okay, I lost one of my lives, but I still have two more to work with. So let's, let's give it my all and see how far I can go mm -hmm. until those lives are gone. And I look at nice. my the mortality of my career that way. Like I'm about to be 30 this year. So it's yeah. like, I'm starting to get into those deeper years where it's like, it's now or never. And so I want to maximize and know that when I move on to the next chapter of my life, I gave it all on the track as Aaron Brown, the track athlete. Mm -hmm. Nice, man. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Right on. So what I'm really curious about Okay, switching gears a little bit. Okay. Kingsley TV. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So okay. what I've kind of gathered from the clips I watch is I clips I watch, the reels I watch, whatever the videos. Um, you're a pretty funny guy. Like you're pretty creative <laughs> with the way you do things. So it yeah. definitely shows. And I really I get a kick out of it. So what I'm curious Appreciate about that. is why. Why did you decide to explore that kind of uh, creativity in and like that medium? Like what was, because uh, not every athlete, let, not many people, let alone athletes do that, especially right. as first person as you do, right? Yeah, So I think that's just, that's the big part of it is that not a lot of people do it. Hmm. So I get DMs often with people who want to know more about what it's like to be a professional track athlete. Yeah. So rather than just like give an answer and like sometimes, you know, I might be busy or there'd be a lot of requests. So it's like, I can't give the attention and, and go back and forth with everybody the way I want to. I'm like, okay, why don't I just show it? You know, why don't I just take this question and instead of just giving an answer in text, let me show it in video. So a lot of people can see it. And then right. maybe other people who might be wondering might also watch it and be like, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I try to show different elements of the track and field experience and being a professional track athlete, because not a lot of people know you can even do this as a job. And right. Uh, right. some younger athletes, you know, they might be aspiring to be in this position. They might want to know what they got to do to get here. Um, so I give little tips sometimes. Sometimes I do motivational stuff because mm -hmm. a lot of people, it's hard, man. Track and field is hard, bro. So yeah. I try to help people you know like, saying. you know, get through the hard days of training and stuff like that. Not even just track, like just life in general, you know? Yeah. You could take principles from being a track and field athlete and apply that to everyday life. Um, sure. So I try to help people through that because, you know, there's days where I'm down and I, I need people to help me get up. So I want to hopefully do that for other people. Nice. And then there's just the skits because, you know, I try to mix it up. And sometimes I try to find different ways for people to get that message that I'm trying to uh, deliver. And um, it really just started with growing my brand, bro. Like a lot of people didn't know my story mm -hmm. when I was younger. And I was kind of like always the guy in Andre's shadow. 
Right. And I, and whenever people would write about me in articles and stuff like that, it was always like, yeah, uh, Aaron Brown was the next, was supposed to be the next guy. And then Andre came along and, you know, now Aaron's in his shadow and he's like the yeah. number two guy. Like we got Andre and then Aaron's right behind him. And I was like, okay, but there's more to me than just being Andre's rival or yeah. the next up guy, the second number two not, guy. I'm not robbing to his Batman. Like, exactly. Like, so I'm like, good. okay if these people aren't going to change the narrative because this is easy to sell, it's just mention my name alongside his, then I'll give them more fodder. I'll give them more something to write about. Like I'll, I'll tell it myself. And yeah. the great thing about social media is you have the ability to put out whatever message you want to. Right. You can, you can just post like pictures of you, you know, chilling and going to the club and vibe it out and wearing, you know, luxury clothes and like yeah. a designer and all that. Or you can use it as a tool to like let people know what you're all about. Right. And especially as like an athlete, I turn my channels into like a business essentially, where it's representing my brand. And that's what Kingsley TV is, is like mm-hmm. the brand side of Aaron, you know? Yeah. So when people see me on TV, it's not just like, oh, there's the runner guys. They might see me and know me from Instagram or YouTube mm-hmm. and be like, hey. I've seen some of his videos. I know like he does creative stuff like that and he's also a runner. So they yeah. might be more likely to follow me and, and feel like they are part of the journey because they, mm-hmm. they watch me in different avenues. So it was just a matter of like putting stuff out there that I feel like not a lot of people know about and kind of filling nice. that void. That's <laughs> freaking cool, man. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I had uh, the main, uh, it was funny. I said, so because of um so i ran cross country and track throughout high school and then in post-secondary um track and feel like there wasn't a program at the college i was at but that was also not a focus like my the whole thing was education for me um and what i wanted to do and what i wanted to do sorry so they didn't have a program so i didn't pursue it but i'd always done that for like a form of cross training or whatever and i still did like track workouts with friends and stuff and because of the track clubs i was a part of in high school I still am in touch with those people. And it's funny that I was saying, I was talking to a few people kind of towards the beginning, the end of the Olympics and stuff. And then even the last like a few, four months, like before I reached out where I had asked a lot of people, you know, like mother, some friends, some athlete, all my friends are pretty much athletes. So um, they, uh, they all said, I was like, you know, like, I was like, ah, you know, I want some cool stories. I don't just want because when people are at the center of mm-hmm. what we all see, it's very, very, very tough to find things that are unique and authentic, mm-hmm. right? Because people right now are craving authenticity more than anything. It's why podcasts are so popular, right? right? And so I think seeing the way you've kind of, like, it's you, man, right? Yeah. So it's, it's not, yeah. there's no, like, fabrication to this. There's no that. You know, okay. it's all authentic and uniquely you, which is what I really appreciate about yeah. about it. So I'm like, oh, I'll subscribe. I'll check this out. This is, this is sweet. All right, <laughs> cool. You know, some some yeah. like the more motivational stuff directly applies to me. But then the running stuff, I'm like, this is interesting. I definitely know mm-hmm. somebody who could benefit from this. So, right. Yeah. yeah so and, you know, you know uh, I know it's easier to grow on platforms when you like stick to one thing. So if I did like all motivational stuff or all funny stuff or whatever, mm-hmm. I might 
grow faster because you know um easier to categorize because a lot of people like that like this stuff it's easier for instagram to push that to them right but at the same time that wouldn't be true to who i am because some no. days i feel motivational some days i feel mm. like doing a skit like sometimes i feel like doing some creative stuff sometimes i feel like showing my family and that's just nice. like i'm literally just showing my life and mm. and kind of making that my uh strategy you know rather than trying to go all in on one thing and neglect other sides of myself. I try yeah. to just express who I am as a person. And then yeah. if people like it, they like it. Right. Is it's your, like, so you said, right. It's you, it's your story, yeah. your brand and the yeah. best part of it all being you. And this is kind of something I've been battling lately, like in trying to figure out avenues, but it's more just, it's you. So you're able to kind of, it's like you are the brand. It's not, yeah. Oh, it's a motivational channel. It's a motivational thing. I'm focusing on running today or family, yeah. the importance of family and what they mean to me. It's, this is all me. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. kind of like, you're aware of that. And that's kind of how like you're taking, how you're exploring yeah. it. So it's cool to see. It's cool to see. So I just want to give a shout out for that. So appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. man. Yeah, no problem. So as you kind of come towards like the end of everything and stuff and uh, the end of the show, um, do you have any kind of final pieces of like um, feedback or things that whether it be people you've seen or stories you've heard or things that you've seen like advice pieces that you would give to somebody who maybe is in their mid teens, they're competitive, they don't really know what avenue to explore, like how could they kind of discover what to uh, what to do? Yeah, sure. Um the best advice I would say for someone in their teens is you don't have to have it all figured out. And there's many different avenues you can pursue. Mm -hmm. So you might see somebody who's a young stud, you know, they have it, you know, made, they're succeeding right now and your story doesn't quite look like theirs. Mm -hmm. But in the end, after a few years and, you know, maybe 10 years down the road, you might be the same place that they're at, even though you started out way behind. So don't mm -hmm. feel like you have to have it all figured out in your teens. A good example is one of my training partners, his name is Kenny Bednarik. He went to a JUCO and he's kind of, you know, a late bloomer. Uh, not really pe many people talked about him in high school. Uh, he went to a junior college, didn't have the grades to go to D1 but now he's the Olympic silver medals in the 200, you know? So does it really matter earlier on how you got there yeah. as long as you get there? You know what I'm saying? Right. Like some people do go to the big school. They do, they're hot when they're in high school, they're hot when they're in college and they end up doing great stuff as a professional. Some people are hot when they're young and fizzle out, but it all depends on how consistent you are, how hungry you are and how committed you are to getting to wherever it is you want to go. And sometimes you don't even have to know where you want to go. You'll just figure it out on the path. Just yeah. commit to whatever you, it is you're passionate about at the moment. And eventually the right people will help you find uh, where, you, where you have to go. I never thought in a million years that this is where I'd be in my position today when yeah. I was a teenager. I had no idea about running professionally. I didn't know that was a thing. I knew there's the Olympics and yeah. that was it. I didn't know about scholarships. I didn't know about the NCAA. Okay. I didn't know about professional track or getting a, a, a shoe deal with Nike yeah. or, you know, all the things that I've done. And now I've traveled the world. You know, I have a great career running for Nike and I'm a three-time Olympian, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
but like the point is is that you don't have to have it all figured out earlier on sometimes mm-hmm. you just need to be around people who are hungry and ambitious and like you know have some type of um idea of what they want and that might rub off onto you and you mm-hmm. they might help you try stuff that you never pictured yourself doing so sometimes yeah. you just have to taste just taste like hey maybe i want to try this maybe i want to try this give stuff a try be open to different things and you might find something that sticks and yeah. that might turn into your career you know but mm-hmm. when you're a teen there's a lot of pressure to be like everybody else especially with social media and FOMO and stuff like that yeah so bad. you might like compare yourself all the time like oh i don't have it figured out you know i'm, I'm worth this and whatever and mental health is a big thing these days too so like yeah. the uh, effects of mental health on you when you don't have it figured out and you see other people who do and you feel like you're being left behind mm-hmm. it weighs on people man so it's like bad, i don't yeah. want young people to feel like they have to have it all figured out right now mm-hmm. you have time and that's your biggest asset so use it use that time to explore different avenues that you can pursue and mm-hmm. you might find your passion you might find what you like in in follow that man just just take it and run with it see how far you can go with it nice i think that yeah i think that's super important and i think yeah. being able to try different things whether and that could be said to anybody at any stage at any point right in their life or career like i'm not sure if you know what you're doing in five years when you're like if you want to retire from running or not or whatever but mm-hmm. and i'm not sure what i'm going to be doing at 30 either so <laughs> right like figure it out always do everything seems to work itself out so exactly you gotta believe in it and go uh go forward eh? so so aaron i want to express my uh sincerest gratitude for you giving me some time i know you're busy man family man so i really appreciate you carving out some time tonight to uh chat with me i'm really grateful for it um i look forward to i have a plan where i want to uh i want to be at the 2024 olympics as like okay. a like a ridiculous fan like just be okay. really enthusiastic like yeah. full, full bore and uh i look forward to uh cheering you on um that'd be awesome watching you grow and watching you race and uh following the rest of your career and uh, i really appreciate you being able to tell your story with me today and sharing with uh my audience and uh i'm look i'm uh i'm excited to see how it all turns out so thank you very much and uh where uh where can people uh find you uh first of all appreciate you having me on you know it's a great conversation easy guy to talk to so thank you man you know it was my pleasure um if people want to follow me uh on youtube my name is my full name aaron kingsley brown or you could look up kingsley tv that's k-i-n-g-s-l-e-y tv uh on you sorry on instagram twitter facebook and tiktok uh my handle is kingsley sc so think Kingsley, K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y, and then SC as in Southern California. So Kingsley SC. Nice. Right on, man.